welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. Us upstairs in Big Church, we want to open up our Bibles to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 15. This is a sermon here today on Jesus being arrested in his trial in front of Pilate. As you know, Resurrection Sunday is in two weeks. And we are preparing in our Bibles and reading the stories and seeing what God has to say for us leading up to this special Sunday where Jesus comes out of the tomb. Jesus was crucified on a day called Good Friday. That is the uh, two days before Easter. And that is going to be on Friday. Easter is on a Sunday. And that is when, on Sundays, when Jesus came out of the tomb. And on that Good Friday morning is the time when we see in the Bible of when Jesus, early that Friday morning, he went to trial before Pilate. So I'm going to give you background information. So we, it's so important for us to know the story of what we call Jesus is, is, is what we call Holy Week. It's his last week on earth when he entered into Jerusalem when he was betrayed, when he was tried, when he was crucified, and then when he was resurrected. Because I tell you why it's so important. You know, we always, of course, at Christmas time in December, we celebrate Jesus' birth. But you know, the birth accounts are only recorded in two of the Gospels. Jesus' resurrection and his crucifixion are in all four Gospel accounts. So it is a very important, significant event. Not only that, this is how we are saved because of Jesus Christ's resurrection and Jesus is in heaven right now, we come to know the Lord. And that's how we will go to heaven. So you're in your Bibles in the New Testament book of Mark, Mark chapter 15. What's happening here? And you can actually follow along somewhat in your uh, bulletin notes. Jesus Christ, and I preached on this last week, he was in this little garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. He would go there, it's right outside the city walls of Jerusalem. And he would go there regularly, and he would meet with his disciples and pray. Well, that, that last supper he had, what, with the Lord's Supper, on that Thursday night, he was there with his disciples, and Judas went out um, to, to, to betray Jesus. He went and received uh, 30 silver coins and said, we're going to find a perfect spot that's away from all the crowds from the big city of Jerusalem, so that we can do a quiet arrest of Jesus and haul him off for a kind of a, a secret trial. Because remember, he's getting arrested by the, uh, the, basically the religious leaders, the religious police are arrest, arresting him, and the goal is to keep it quiet, because they did not like this man Jesus whatsoever. So he gets arrested there in the Garden of Gethsemane, by the uh, Pharisees, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders. They quietly arrest him. All the disciples scatter. They abandon Jesus. Jesus, in the middle of the night, on that, fr- on that Thursday night, at this point, it's probably even Friday morning, middle of the night, goes to, first he goes to see the high priest, Annas, and his father-in-law, Caiaphas. He goes to see these two high priests, and they both condemn him. Then he is sent to what they call the Jewish ruling council called the Sanhedrin. And they condemn him. Well, the problem was going on in Jesus' time. Israel at that time was obviously the land as is today. But they were under occupation by a country called Rome. 
And that was run by Caesar, of course, in Rome, Italy. So even though they had condemned Jesus, the, uh, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious leaders, had condemned Jesus to die because they were under Roman occupation, they did not have authority to actually carry out executions. Only the Roman uh, government could do that. So they needed to get rid of Jesus. So what they had to do is they had to transfer him from religious court to Roman court. And Rome at that time was governed, uh, the area of Judea, which is where Israel is today, it was governed by a man named Pilate. Caesar is there in Rome, Italy, but he has delegated this religious area, and Israel was known for its religious zealots, people who were just passionate for religion, and they had to keep order, so Pilate was sent there to keep order of this place, religious order. So all of a sudden, Jesus comes to trial early on Friday morning. So this is probably like 7.30, 8 in the morning on Good Friday. And he comes to Pilate, and Pilate quickly realizes right off the bat that the religious leaders are up to no good right here. They don't like this guy, they're jealous, they're envious, so he's looking for a way out. Every time Jesus is being tried by Pilate, Pilate's always looking for a way out. So he knows at that time, he finds out Jesus is from Galilee. Well, there was another man named Herod who was over the, the Galilee jurisdiction. And he was in town that day. So he sent, quickly sent him to Herod. All these so-called trials would probably just last a few minutes. These weren't lengthy trials whatsoever. So they sent him to Herod. Herod was looking forward to seeing Jesus. And all he got was silence. Jesus didn't say a word. So then Herod sends him back to Pilate. And that second trial is where Jesus is condemned to die. And that's where we're going to pick up right here. So we're, look, we're reading the story in Mark chapter 15, verse 1, of Jesus when he's facing Pilate and he's condemned to death. So follow along in your Bibles. As soon as it was morning, having held a meeting with the elder scribes and the whole Sanhedrin, the chief priest tied Jesus up, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Remember, we're doing that so he can get executed. That's the reason why, because they didn't have authority. So Jesus is tied up. He's being treated like a, a, a criminal. This is a, a church court he just went to, what the Sanhedrin is. So Pilate asked him, in all of these questions, as we go through these, this description, we're going to stop and focus on the questions of Pilate. Because all of the questions here that Pilate asked are actually questions we need to be prepared to answer. And it's the same questions for us today. Pilate's questions actually continue on all the way to today. So his first question, he looks at Jesus and he says, Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And he's saying that somewhat mockingly. I mean, we're on trial because this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Let me explain what that would be like. Could you imagine you going to trial here in Lexington and your charge is you decided that you were the president of the United States and the judge looked at you right down the street here, down, down Main Street, right down Broadway, you go down and you go to the chorus. George, George, uh, judge looks at you and says, are you the president of the United States? And like, it would just be a joke. I mean, we all know 
You're not the President of the United States. And that's what he's saying here. Here's this man being accused of being the king of the Jews. So Pilate probably has some sarcasm in that question. And Jesus answered him, You say so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. Pilate questioned him again. Aren't you going to answer? Look how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus did not answer. And so Pilate was amazed. Do you know why he's amazed? Pilate was looking for a way to get this man off the hook. All Jesus, he's probably thinking, just say something. Say anything, sir, and I can let you off. But you were just standing here silent. All you said is, you say so. And he's just quiet. Doesn't say a word. And I tell you why, it's a fulfillment from the book of Isaiah. The Bible says that Jesus was like a sheep being led to slaughter, just silent. He didn't say a word. He just goes right on, goes on to his trial. No defense. And it goes on to say in verse 6, now we're introduced to a new character. And this new character actually represents us. This is during a time called the Passover. And during the Passover, they have this custom that they would release a criminal who has been condemned. So Pilate was thinking, you know what, maybe this is my opportunity to get Jesus released this way. And there was a man named Barabbas. And where that, where that custom would come from is back in the Old Testament. When it was a time to have Passover, they would release an animal representing, you know, this one is free. So this man here, Barabbas, he's going to get released, and he's actually a known murderer, leading a rebellion. Some type, they had some type of rebellion during that time, some type of a political rebellion, and Barabbas got caught up in it, and he got, or killed someone, and he's been arrested. At the festival, that's the Passover festival, Pilate used to release for the people a prisoner whom they requested. There is one named Barabbas who was imprisoned with rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them, as was his custom. Pilate answered them, Do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? For he knew it was because of envy that the chief priest had handed him over. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he would release Barabbas to them instead. Pilate asked them again. So here's another question. First he says, who do you want me to release? Notice Pilate is a man who cannot make any possible decision on his own. All he's done is just persuaded by other people. He just goes along with the flow. So many people are like Pilate today. In fact, some of us could be like Pilate. We just drift along to get along. Wherever the current takes us, we go. So he asks this next question here. He says, Pilate asks him again, Then what do you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews. There is the question. What do you want me to do with this man? That's a question for us today. There is this man, Jesus, who stands before us this morning, and we are faced with that question. What do we do with Jesus? Pilate's looking at him, and we look at him too. And we're, we're faced with this question. In fact, I have up here on the screen, <clears throat> this question, what do we do with Jesus? Because this is what Jesus does with us. This is what happens when someone is saved. 
God first starts working in our life. God's action in salvation starts with conviction. God starts to convict us of sin. Conviction is what means when God starts pointing out problems in areas of our life that we need to release and turn to the Lord. We need to surrender to God. Our response to conviction, this is how God draws us in. And maybe, maybe some of you this morning, God uh, has been convicting you and God brought you to church here. Very likely He did. Our response to conviction is repentance. So God convicts us of sin, then we repent of that sin. That's the very first sermon that Jesus began to preach back in Matthew 4.17. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Then what comes from repentance? God actually justifies. When we repent of our sin, God justifies us. That means justification is a legal term. That means we are we had a penalty originally come in as guilty, but we've been justified by the Lord. And he's saying, it's just as you've never sinned. We've been set free. Instead of being guilty, God is saying, because you repented, you are now free. So God's action is justification. We don't justify ourselves. God is our judge. So at that point, when you've been justified, you are no longer guilty of sin, you have been converted. That's conversion. That's what it means to be saved. And these first two events, these happen right at the same time. God convicts you of sin, you repent, He justifies you, and you are converted, you are saved. That's what it means to be saved right there. You trust in Jesus as your Savior, and you have been born again, converted by the gospel. And do you know when you get saved, do you know what happens? There's no response to this, but you receive what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now that's different from the water baptism that we had two weeks ago. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit comes inside your life. The book of John talks all about this. It's when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, He makes a home, and He is called your, uh, this, this ongoing presence. He is a guide that, uh, that takes us through life. It's the presence of God inside of us. Do you know there's no response to us for that? We just received the Holy Spirit. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Then, when you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, what happens is you are sanctified. That is the process of you becoming more and more holy like God. The Bible tells us to be holy because God is holy. That is what we call Christian maturity. Folks, that's why we come to worship every Sunday. That's why we want to grow spiritually closer to the Lord. That's why you want to increase in your knowledge of the Word of God because you're becoming sanctified. Our response to sanctification is assurance. I want to tell you, if you're struggling this morning and you're wondering, am I saved? And maybe you knew back 10 years ago you trusted Christ as your Savior. It's probably over this issue of sanctification, meaning you are not walking with God. One of the ways you know you're, you're saved is you daily just walk with God. Folks, that's our prayer life. That's weekly worship attendance. That's all of a sudden... Uh, where we serve in our church. I mean, think about serving in a church. When you come to church and you serve every single Sunday, if you ever missed a Sunday, say you got sick one day and you actually missed serving, this whole church should know that you missed. Because your presence of serving is so obvious 
Something didn't get done. Where's Brother Bill? Where's Sister Sue? Something didn't get done because you didn't show up. Do you see, this is what it means to be a Christian. What it means to serve. If you miss one service, everyone knows. Many times, for some of us, there are people, they only want to come to church if they get paid. Do you know, if you could rewind a hundred years ago, you did not pay a pianist. You didn't pay nursery workers. You didn't pay someone to cut the grass. You didn't pay, pay folks to uh, uh, clean the windows. Think about it. If God has given you a gift, you have a spiritual gift, a blessing from the Lord, the one place you should want to serve is here. But many times, not just our churches, this is preaching to all the churches out there, you have to pay people to do stuff. Because the people aren't doing what they've been saved to do. It would be foreign if you, we could rewind in time a hundred years ago and you would pay people to do something, pay people to play, pay people to sing. That was unknown, unheard of back in times. Pay folks to clean the church. Pay people to run the bulletin. Pay people to answer the phone unheard of and what happens is this thing of sanctification that is being more holy like the lord god has saved you has gifted you has given you gifts and abilities for the purpose of serving those through the church and what happens for us is when we do that we receive assurance So if you're here this morning and you're wondering, am I even saved? Do I? Am I born again? That might be. And you know 10 years ago you got saved. I'll tell you, that's a sanctification issue. It means you are not growing, you're not serving like you should be serving the Lord. Jesus Christ saves us with the purpose of for the bride of Christ. Do you know the church, this church, our church individually and the church worldwide church as a whole, is called by Jesus the bride of Christ. Could you imagine, when we decide we do not need to go to church, and you are not interested in the people of church, and you're not wanting to be friends or be in the know or do ministry with the people of God, you're actually saying, Jesus, I love you, but I have no interest in a local church. That is completely foreign in the Bible. Completely foreign. Jesus wouldn't even recognize that. The people in the book of Acts where the New Testament church was started, they wouldn't even know what you're talking about if you spoke like that. The church is Christ. Christ is the, he describes the church as the bride of Christ. When we come to worship him, we are worshiping this man who is being tried before Pilate. He is the author and the receiver of our worship. Why would you speak about the local body of church that way? Keep going here in your Bibles, right here. So he asked this question in verse 12. Then what do you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews? What do I do with this man? Pilate has no idea. Again, they shouted, crucify him. Get rid of him. They don't want him. 
Pilate said to them, why? What has he done wrong? And the answer is, he's done nothing wrong. Jesus is the innocent, perfect Lamb of God standing on this trial before Pilate. He's done nothing wrong. And then this is where you see someone who gives in to the crowd. And I want to tell you, for us, if we are not rock solid in our belief, if we aren't convictional and understand how central the Word of God, how central Christ is in our life, we will be just like Pilate and we give in. This is what wishy-washiest looks like. I'll give you all a example. This week, I'm not going to tell you who, but I was uh, on the, watching the news this week, and this lady was promoting a Christian children's books. I actually buy and read Christian children's books. I have Sunday school class, I read them at home. I actually like children's books better than regular books. They're great pictures, easy to read, and always tell great stories. This lady was telling the story about this Christian children's book, and I could just tell by the way she spoke about the Lord, she's not even saved. This person doesn't believe the Bible. The way, the, uh, just the casualness about the God. You know, one of the things, when you know the Lord, when you have a deep abiding relationship with the Lord, you can actually tell, not 100%, you can actually just talk to someone else. How people talk about God and how people talk about the Lord and Jesus, you can almost sense this person knows the Lord or this person does not know the Lord. Just in their language they use about God. If God, to a lot of folks, is the, the place we go to on Sunday mornings and uh, a service you attend, and that's it, that, that, that's not what the, who the Lord is. The Lord is our Savior. The Lord is the one here who's dying for our sins. This lady talked about, she went and wrote some Christian children's books. I went and looked her up on Instagram and said, there's no way. I could just tell by her Instagram posts. I went and scrolled through them, and I thought I knew it. The language she used, what the post she made, especially in the month of June and Pride Month, and all the other issues of the day that she went on rambling about. So this, this isn't a Bible-believing Christian. What she's talking about has nothing to do with what her book is about. And folks, for us, if we aren't careful, we will find our lives wanting to satisfy the crowd. Pilate has Jesus standing right there in front of him. And he, all he's hearing is, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They don't even want to let go of Barabbas. And so finally it says in verse 15, wanting to satisfy the crowd, that is a danger for us. That means to go along with culture. To please everyone else. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. After having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. And he pleased the crowd. Pilate there did not want to cause any type of revolt. He wanted to get a promotion. He wanted to get out of this area called Judea. He wanted to go back to Rome. So he just wanted to keep the chief priests, keep the religious leaders at bay. We don't want to start some big mess down here, so let's just go ahead and kill this one man, Jesus, and then everybody will quiet down. And Barabbas was set free. Folks, we're the Barabbas in that story. He's the one who's, who was a murderer. He's the one that deserved death. You know, at Jesus' trial, this man was set free. Folks, that's us. We're, we're the ones set free. 
And Jesus is taking Brabus' place. He's taking the guilty one. The soldiers led him away into, a, into the palace. That is the governor's residence. So he's being led to Pilate's place. And they called the whole company together. They dressed him in a purple robe, just like that. That's a sign of being a king. Put him in a purple robe, twisted together a crown of thorns, and put it on his head. And they began to salute him, hell, king of the Jews. They were hitting on him, hitting him with a, the head with a stick, and spitting on him. Getting down their knees, they were paying homage to him. You know, I love how they dropped their knees to mockingly worship Jesus. We always have to think, when's the last time we fell on our knees before the Lord? They did this to mock Jesus. We should be on our knees regularly. After they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple robe. They took that robe back off of him. And they put his clothes back on here. Pilate's voice. The voice of Pilate we see in this story is one that we need to be aware of today. Because Pilate speaks like so many other people around us. This is a conversation because Jesus isn't speaking. Pilate's the one asking the question. When Pilate speaks, he's speaking of a voice of one, a safety. This is what we have to warn us from. Pilate wanted peace into his little country he was governing. The country of Judea and Palestine and Israel. And he knew it would be probably much easier. He, even though he knew Jesus was innocent, it's easier to kill Jesus and keep these religious fanatics at bay so we didn't have any problems. Do you know, even when the Bible tells us in Luke's account, even when Pilate was about to sentence Jesus, he got a memo, a note from his wife saying, don't have anything to do with Jesus. He has caused me terrible dreams. Meaning he was innocent. So Pilate knew. His wife said he was innocent. He knew he was innocent. He was looking for a way out to get this man as innocent. But because he wanted peace and safety. And a lot of times in our life, we can find ourselves making very safe decisions. And what a safe decision looks like today is when we want to, as Pilate did, satisfy the crowd. Let's just take the easy way out. We don't want to stir the pot. Let's not do anything that would be offensive to someone else. But here's what the thing is about the gospel. Jesus Christ, his message was offensive. Do you know why these chief priests, these religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus? It's because he offended them. He told them they were the sinners. They were the lost ones. They don't know the Bibles. And he's looking and saying, how dare you talk to us? We're the religious leaders. We're the gatekeepers of heaven. And you, Jesus, come along teaching us about God. How dare you? That's what he was doing here. The gospel message. Folks, when we witness, when we share, it is not a message of safety. Christ calls us to repent, to change our life, and to live for him. In fact, when you do great things for the Lord, it's going to be challenging and difficult. And you get rejected. Not only that, the voice of Pilate today, it's a voice of compromise. The voice of compromise means that you don't, you literally just, when you're at school, when you're at college, when you're at work, you, you just compromise your beliefs. When you're dating someone, you compromise your beliefs. When you're uh, with other friends, you would do things that you know are wrong, according to the Bible, yet you do it. And how did Pilate compromise? He knew this man was innocent. 
yet he had him killed. And compromise today looks like you're dating someone who you know you're not, who's not saved, and you give in to them uh, sexually. Compromise today means all of a sudden you're, you're stealing from your employer. Compromise today means men, you're uh, on your phone looking at inappropriate websites. It's stuff you know that's wrong. Safety is when you don't, you don't speak up. Compromise is when you just quietly just give in. You don't even speak up. You know it's wrong the whole time, but you just give in. That's Pilate. He knew this was wrong. It's, it's, it's a voice of compromise. He's just going along with what they want. And knowing that, what does Pilate do when every time he speaks, it's the voice of a lost man. When we listen to people like Pilate, people who are wishy-washy, people who cannot stand for truth, people who cannot stand on the Word of God, you're listening to a lost man. And the lost man voice is all around us. A lost man is someone who is not saved and someone who's not going to heaven. They, in fact, are going to hell. And if you aren't careful, every time we turn on our TVs and we watch movies and we listen to the radio and the music, if, you're not, if you don't guard what's coming into your ears and your mind, you are listening not to the Lord, you're listening to lostness. And that's what Pilate was speaking as. This is the voice of a lost man. And, they, and when he finally released Barabbas and turned Jesus over to be flogged, He's listening to the chief priests who were lost. Pilate was lost. Even his wife had more wisdom than he did. But he did not listen. This morning we look at this passage. And this is a convicting message because Jesus speaks to us through his word. And for all of us here this morning, we see what happened to Jesus. And we we get this question that Pilate asked. What do you want me to do with the king of the Jews? Like, you've got this man, Jesus, standing before you. What do you do with him? And our answer for us today is that when we are confronted with the gospel, and the gospel is Jesus, when he is standing before us, when he moves in our hearts, we have to say, Lord, I'm either going to line up my life to you, to what your word says, or I'm going to live for myself live as a lost man does, as Pilate did. And we basically, we live a life that lines up with Christ or we're just like Pilate. Pilate, he wanted a promotion. He wanted peace and safety in his land. He compromised knowing he killed an innocent man. And not only that, he's just a lost person, just going about his day. This is just another trial for him. And just move on with that. And this morning I ask you, if Jesus is convicting you of sin, He's speaking to you today, and you need to respond to the Lord. And our response is repentance. Jesus wants you to be saved. Christ calls us to the cross. Just like they fell down at Jesus' feet, we fall down at Jesus' feet and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you. I cannot go through life without you. I am not saved, and I need to be born again. When we cry and call out to the Lord, He answers us, and He justifies us, and He converts us. Our response is turning away from our old, dead life and turning to the Lord. That is what Easter, that is what the Resurrection Sunday is about. The new life in Christ, He has come out of the tomb. We no longer live an old life. 
we live a new life in Christ, I'm going to give us an opportunity, give you an opportunity to get saved this morning. So I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. You've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior. He wants to be your Lord and Savior right now. You can do this. I'm going to pray a prayer. And I want you to follow along. And you pray it silently. Jesus can read your heart. He knows everything you say, even when you say it, not even audibly. You just say it to yourself. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. I nailed you to the cross. I stand guilty. Lord, save me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, give me new life. Jesus, from this day on, I'm yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want you to look up. The Bible teaches us if you prayed that prayer, you trusted Christ as your Savior, and Jesus is now in your life. You've become born again. The way we want to end this worship service is we end every single worship service. We give you an opportunity to respond to God. Christ calls us publicly, boldly. We come to God and say, I've given my life. If you got saved this morning, if you prayed that prayer, or maybe you missed praying that prayer, you want to pray it again, you come forward, take my hand, and say, Pastor, I want to get saved, or I just got saved, and I'm ready to follow Jesus this morning. This is your time that you join our church, you come forward and get baptized, you come forward and say, I got saved today. So we're going to stand together. Beach and our band is going to lead us in our final song. We're going to sing our closing song. I stand out front, and you respond to the Lord.